0: Hello, and welcome back to Sunday Sermons, the official podcast of FNBC Houston. I'm Pastor Andrew Johnson, the senior pastor at FMBC Houston. We're so glad that you chose to download and listen to this episode. If you're ever in the Houston area, join us for Sunday service at 11 a.m. at 623 Crest. is a sweet sweet spirit in this place amen so grateful for our worship team leading us Uh, thankful especially just to the Lord who still meets with us amen and I'm thankful for my sister when she was praying she says he knows every follicle on your head now the verse says every hair on the head but she didn't want to leave me out some of the other brothers in the house can say amen. If there's no hairs to know, he knows the follicles. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 7. While you're turning there in your Bible, I, uh, I want to talk to you today. So much of what is coming out of this passage, I'm excited to share Uh, But really, a lot of it surrounds uh, having to hear a hard message. Um, One of the greatest prophets in my life came around during COVID, and uh, that was the mask. The mask is a prophet, and let me explain, because, uh, you know, you can be going through your whole life or your whole day not knowing really what you're putting out breath-wise, and the mask does not lie. And all God's people said yes and amen. People that I have to pray for you, you say yes and amen. My wife is, has that, that uh, gift. She will not lie. Uh, don't come kissing on me. Go brush your teeth. Did you brush them? Brush them again. Like your, your breath is bad. It's hard. That hits. Don't look at me like y'all have never been told the truth. <laughs> or like I'm the only one. And that you're like, man, she's right. Back to the bathroom. Got to brush my teeth. Got to make sure the breath is uh, minty, uh, fresh and clean, that's, a, that's an easy one, but it's true, it does kind of hurt to hear the truth, and um, the passage today, Stephen is preaching a message to this council who sits in judgment over him, and rather than humbling himself to their will, he stands in the authority that God has placed in him through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak a hard message to hear. And uh, I thank God that if you're born again, son or daughter, you're not necessarily in the same seat as that council because those who are born again are filled with the Holy Spirit and now divinely your ears are opened. It's not just the personality or, a, or a, a, a hyper-spirituality that makes you special and able to listen. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us ear to hear. They did not have that. But from their hard-heartedness, from their stopped ears, we can learn a lesson, and also from Stephen's courage to stand and declare the truth of God, speaking in love, speaking in kindness, but speaking a hard message to hear. Now, Acts 7 is a long passage. I remember hearing this sermon. You don't remember... Preachers, I'm sorry to hurt your feelings if you ever preach. I'm just used to it. Not a lot of messages always stick with you, especially when I was little. You know, you catch some pieces here and there. I remember one message in particular where the brother preached this passage. And I remember not because of what he said, but because of how long it was. And some of you are like, oh, my goodness, why this Sunday? Why, why? No, no, so for that reason, we're not going to go into all of Acts 7. In fact, if you showed up early at 10, we did a Bible study. Um, But Stephen launches into a sermon, and he tells the history of Israel. Uh, His response is ultimately um, the council brings him forward in Acts chapter 6, verse 13. It says that they set up false witnesses against him. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Stephen himself was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with power, with authority, with wisdom. He was filled with uh, grace. And and Stephen is not um, an apostle. Stephen is not Jesus Christ himself. Stephen is just an average member of a local church. And it's an encouragement to you and me that there is no such thing as just an average member of a local church. That the body of Christ is is filled with the Holy Spirit of Christ. And in that power and authority, in that grace and in that wisdom, all of us can stand and declare the goodness of God. And all of us can be used for mighty purposes. And it's because of his courage to stand that there is now an attack coming against him. And they make these false accusations in 6.13 Saying, this man never ceases to speak words against his holy, this holy place and the law. We heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, speaking of the temple, and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And basically this false charge is brought against him and the council says, uh, after having arrested him and taking him into captivity, they bring him before the the judge, bring him before the council and say, uh, what do you have to say about these charges? And he launches into a little bit of a history lesson. He marches the congregation from Abraham to Joseph, to Moses, all the way to Joshua, and then David, and Solomon. And he's not just telling stories from the Bible, he's building a case that these charges that have been brought against him are not true. And in fact, the message that he is speaking is not some new message, but it's the same revelation that God has given all throughout the history of Israel. And so I hope that you take time to go back and read the finer details of every part of that story. Uh, start showing up at 10 because we go in depth into the Bible study on those particular passages. But I want to fast forward to verse 51. Because uh, verse 51 is really the, the, the part where he finally stops telling the story of Abraham and Moses and Uh, Joseph and Joshua and David and Solomon and Isaiah he finally turns to the congregation after looking at this story of how God has revealed himself throughout Israel's history he applies it to the crowd that stands in judgment over him and uh, will you stand in honor of reading God's word Acts 7.51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains eternal. You may be seated. I want to talk to you from this title and from this theme this morning. Don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot, maybe y'all can repeat after me. Don't shoot the messenger. Um, This is a a, a rule that really harkens back to the days where um, great armies would meet on the battlefield and there was understanding, at least in ancient times, that an emissary could come forth out into the middle of the battlefield from one army. And an emissary or a messenger could come out into the middle of the field from the other army. And they would not shoot the messenger because before they were about to risk the lives of an entire army, maybe there might be peace to be made through conversation and discussion. Maybe words could stop before war began. And and so, so don't shoot the messenger for me as I look at Stephen. I'm looking at, once again, and I'm going to try to draw out some key components to the messengers that came before Stephen. Stephen talks about the messengers like Abraham, like Joseph, like Moses, And as he goes on through these messengers, we see that there's clear themes that he's trying to draw out, trying to teach, trying to show, trying to declare the truth so that people can understand it. And so this message hits us in two ways. Towards the end, we're going to celebrate and call out the calling on your life, which is to stand and declare the truth. Uh, But before I cast you as the character in the story who stands and tells the truth, I want us to see ourselves as those who have a hard time receiving hard messages. Go ahead and say, he's talking about you, right? No, he's, he's not talking about me. And, 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 and it's amazing that the congregation stands in judgment over Stephen, and Stephen says, no, no, you got it all wrong. In fact, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you have crucified, I want you to hear another hard message. That the good news actually comes in words and truth that doesn't seem so nice. But it's true. In his response, Stephen gives this long panorama picture of the Old Testament history. Um, he's not telling them stuff he doesn't know. They know who Abraham is. They've been reading those stories since they were little children. They they know. Uh, the story of Joseph and how he, they, l- 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 let's just kind of summarize. They know how Abraham was called out and sent. And, and Father Abraham uh, was the one who believed in God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And, and Abraham, the establishment, the man who became the family, who became a nation of Israel. They know the story of their people. You may not know all these stories, but they would have been very familiar with them, right? Right? He's not teaching them something they don't know. What he's he's doing is reminding them of key parts of the story that they seem to have forgotten. And as we look at his message, there's some key parts that I want to draw to your attention, and I think they'll be beneficial for us today. Sound good? The first thing that we find in Abraham... Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon and Isaiah. In the sermon of Stephen, I'm going to try to not say all their names all the time because you you, you got their names. There's a lot of them there. The key claim against Stephen is this guy's talking bad about the temple. This guy said that Jesus is going to destroy the temple. This guy hates the temple, and by the way, he hates our whole religion. He hates the customs and law and traditions that Moses has handed down. And and Stephen starts out and says, Wait, 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 wait. Do you remember Abraham? The God of glory appeared to Father Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia. And then while he was in Haran. Now you say, Well, where's that? I, I, I don't know exactly, but I can tell you this it's not in Israel. In fact, the story of Abraham is a story of a God who revealed himself to someone who was not in this place. Not only was he not in Israel, he certainly was not in a temple. Such a thing had not yet been conceived. And yet God revealed himself to Abraham. Fast forward a little bit. Joseph Y'all remember Joseph, he's the one who had the many brothers. You remember the coat of many colors and he had the gift and his brothers were jealous and they sold him into slavery. Um, Joseph was kicked out of the land of his fathers. He was not in the land of our people. He was sold into slavery, into Egypt. But don't forget the God of Abraham, who is also the God of Joseph, went with Joseph even when he wasn't at home. He was still God in Ur of the Chaldeans. He was still God in Egypt. And for Israel, that's like saying he's God of, you know, like California and Texas. I don't know. He's the God of uh, New York City. It would be like uh, Babylon or, you know, some, some type of land that's like the foreign land that they are, they're, they're up in arms against. But, yes, he's God not only in one place, but he's God over all of creation, John Stott says it this way as we get into Abraham and Joseph and Moses and all these other figures. um, A single thread runs right through the first part of his defense. It is that the God of Israel is a pilgrim God who is not restricted to any one place if he has any home on earth. If he has any home on earth, it is with his people that he lives. The first part that I want to draw out about Stephen's message is really his key defense. And point one is the meeting place. God has often revealed himself beyond the temple. The temple cannot contain God. And in fact, if you're not careful, The temple can become an idol. Now, that's true for that council of authorized Israelites 2,000 years ago. But friends, it's true for you and I right here and right now. The meeting place. At first, I, I, I was wanted this point to be about the temple. But then I start to realize, if you go through the story, what Stephen's trying to tell the people is it was never about the temple. It was about the meeting place. And God's meeting place cannot be contained in just one temple. God did not need a built home when he led Israel through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua... God has always been accessed by faith, not by man built temples or religious systems. You say, Oh, I know, I understand that. Do you really? Because we serve a God who is higher than our thoughts, whose ways are beyond our contemplation. He's so much greater than we can understand. You and I, by by definition, because we are finite, when we conceive of God, when we think of God, when we relate to God, our picture of him is definitely smaller than the reality, right? Objects in your mind may be smaller than they, uh, may, may be actually larger than they appear. God is greater than we can imagine, Israel has become stuck. They go to temple and they do the religious practices. They know what they're supposed to do and they do it religiously. They are consistently applying these behaviors. But they have settled for the meeting place and have forgotten how to do the actual meeting and who they're supposed to be meeting with. Friend, it's possible for you to show up in the meeting place and miss the entire meeting. I've done it to sit in the pews, to sing the songs, to hear the message. But God is not just in the meeting place. The the meeting place is not the point. What God desires for Israel and what he desires for us is the meeting, is the intimacy, is the connection. It goes deeper than that because the temple was built by their own hands, it's not just the temple that's the problem. It's the law handed down by Moses. And both the temple and the law can be reduced to this one phrase, the work of our own hands. And you may not really make an idol out of the temple, and you may not be making an idol out of the Old Testament customs and law, but I, I venture to guess that sometimes you are tempted to make an idol Out of the work of your own hands. So your prayer request goes like this. God, I know you must be far from me because I haven't been doing well lately. God, I know you must be proud of me. I know we're getting closer because I've been doing a lot lately. The work of our hands does not facilitate the meeting place. That'll set you free if you ever believe that, friend. The gospel is not about he comes to the things that we built. It's that he comes to us regardless of what we can build or not build. And even the greatest thing that we could build could never contain his glory and his grace and his goodness. The work of our hands is not what facilitates a meeting place. The grace of God is that he comes to meet with us. Have you ever gone through a season where you feel like you can't feel him? I'm not talking about a bad day, but I'm talking about weeks or months. It could be suffering. It could be sorrow. It could be an emotional thing. It could be a circumstantial thing in your life, and you're like, God, I'm here, but where are you? The grace of God is not that we are trying to get him to come to us. The grace of God is that he desires to meet with us. Stephen stands and preaches a hard message, which is this, Israel, you love the meeting place that you've built more than the meeting itself, and you haven't met with God in a long time. You come to temple, you do your church thing, but your hearts are far from me. Friends, that can happen in Israel, it can happen in Faith Memorial Baptist Church. The Lord is longing for a For this to just be a meeting place. And you know what's great? He met with Moses in a burning bush out in the wilderness. And he said, take off your feet. This isn't just some random piece of dirt in the desert. This is holy ground. Because where the presence of the Lord is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When the presence of the Lord is there, there is holy ground. And God desires for his children to understand that we are not going to make an idol out of the meeting place. We long for the meeting with the one who comes to meet with us. Before there was a temple, before there was a law, before there was all these things, there was presence. And there was a God longing to meet with us. Friend, I've been a preacher. I realize in two months I'll be in formal ministry for like 20 years. I got saved when I was eight years old. I didn't even know what Baptist was or pastor or ministry. The Lord's reminding me, son, I knew you before. There's a verse in the New Testament that says that Jesus called out his disciples so that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Sometimes we go straight to the being sent out to do stuff for God with the work of our hands. But before he ever called them to be sent out, He just wanted them to be with him. He still just wants to meet with you, friends. Your shame, your disappointment, your bitterness, whatever it is, all it's doing is interfering with intimacy. And that's what God longs for you. And please... If you miss church for a week or a month or five years, don't come back and look me in the face and say, I'm sorry, I haven't been here a while. I keep your sorries. I'm glad that you're here. The father waited and watched the road for the prodigal son to return. And when he finally returned, he didn't come with judgments or corrections or punishments. The father came with open arms running to the prodigal son. And that is the picture of the love of the Father. So Stephen reminds them what the real meeting place is. The next part that's really essential in his message is he really describes the messengers. So we've talked about some of them, and we could really spend six weeks talking about each one of their story and how the goodness of God is revealed in their story. But the point that he's making is, you guys really love these heroes of the faith, and you kind of see them as your person, the person you relate to in the story. But he reminds them, whenever God has sent a message to his people, Israel has often rejected it. God has sent many in his name who point to Christ. So Stephen doesn't want to just correct their view of the meeting place He wants to correct their view of the messengers because they're like, yay, Abraham. We love Abraham. He says, do you really? Because Abraham was given a message to Israel that, hey, good morning, everybody. Here's my message for you today. You will be enslaved for 400 years. And I'm making you a promise, but you won't see it until your generations, generations, generations. And you may celebrate him now, but he was not well received when he gave that message. Um, We love Moses. How dare you speak down on Moses? Hold on a second. Wasn't it your fathers in the wilderness who complained and turned against Moses and turned to other false gods in this golden calf situation? What's the point? I would love to walk you through every single story, but here's the story that in every story we place ourselves on the right side. And Stephen says, hold on a second. The right side is only God sent. Moses himself is not even the hero. It's the spirit of the Lord that sent Moses. It's the wisdom and the, the word of God that was in Abraham, that was in Joshua. That was, it, it wasn't the hero. Despite and without the presence of the Lord, they're just as uh, lost without him, right? So, so what we have to start resonating and realizing is that we're more like those who reject the messenger and reject the message then we are like the heroes of the story. He says, you resist and your fathers resist. You think that your fathers are the heroes, but your fathers were the crowd that persecuted. And This point is significant because I need you to understand that it's not within the human condition to just be able to take a message from God. Apart from the grace of God and the the, um, wisdom of the Holy Spirit, you and I cannot just discern God's will. And so we know the scriptures, and, and, and God reveals himself in the scriptures, and God is directing our lives through the scriptures and through prayer, but it's just a reminder that all revelation, all understanding, all wisdom is, is, comes from the Spirit, and we have to make sure we stay in tune with him and not just assume that we understand what God is saying or doing in our lives. The messengers, God has sent many messengers, and I'm wondering Something I'm wrestling with, just to be honest. Do you have people in your life who have permission to speak hard messages to you? People who love you, who mean well for you, but can say, babe, your breath stinks bad. Please brush your teeth. Or say, I think you've made an idol out of money lately and it's corrupting your soul. Or say, I haven't heard you laugh in months and used to be so filled with joy. Or say, "Um, I I think that you love your children, but you're becoming too controlling over them. If anything I just said you feel like is about anybody in this room, it's not. I just made that up. (laughs) But they're hard truths. And they're hard truths that really a preacher can't, you know, Scatter gun hit everybody with the hard truth that you need to hear. It's actually the spirit of God that speaks more often not through a sermon on Sunday, but through a brother or sister in Christ who knows you intimately and has permission to come into your life, into the delicate, gentle, safe places and say hard things that when you first hear them, they hurt. But they're for your own good. I know we all got different stories and different lives, but I just know that in my life, it's really easy to defend myself, to put up walls to where I don't have to hear hard truths because it just hurts too much. And I would ask that we not be like Israel who hates when God sends messengers because they say stuff we don't want to hear But if we truly want to be like Christ, that we open up our hearts and minds and say, Lord, if you have something to say to me. By the way, he does have something to say to you. I'm willing to listen. The third part that really draws out of this message is the, the meeting place and there's the messenger problem. And, and then I want to talk about the mirror. See, at the end, Stephen says, when the perfect righteous one came, you murdered him. And he's talking about Jesus. When, perfect righteous, when the, right, the righteous one came. This is the ultimate fulfillment of all of our heroes. They were all pointing towards Christ. And he revealed that we were not so different from our forefathers, and we were still rebellious and rejecting. I want to talk to you about the mirror, uh, the the revelation of God through all of these stories, the Word of God, and particularly the Word made flesh, who is Jesus, was like a mirror. The, the, The perfect righteousness of Christ shows us ourselves. And really shows us how far we are from perfect righteousness. Jesus came teaching and preaching and healing and loving and serving. And they hated him for it. And it became a mirror to them to say, if that's what perfect righteousness is, when I turn and look at myself, I am not all that I should be. I'm very far from, Israel had fallen very far from actually obeying the commandments of God. And Stephen says, look, if you want to look back in history, and if you want to look back at all of uh, the meeting places where God has revealed himself, and the messengers who spoke messages on his behalf, they're actually not going to be, uh, they're not going to reflect well on you. The mirror is going to show to you your flaws and your sin, and, and ultimately, this is because they're not saved and because they have not been redeemed and born again, the mirror For lost people is Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness. And before salvation, when you finally encounter the goodness of God, it's kind of scary, to put it lightly, because he is perfect, and now you start to realize you are so far from perfection. Stephen uses these words, stiff-necked, uncircumcised of heart. Um, Thanks a lot, Stephen. Now, I want to be very clear. I don't want to make a perfect comparison. You guys are just like them who didn't listen. This is an unredeemed uh, Israel, right? These are people who have not been born again, have not claimed Jesus as Messiah, and specifically don't have the Holy Spirit. So if you've been born again, that's not you. You have the Spirit. And you can hear. So that's a clear distinction here. That being said, um, it still is possible even for those of us who've been born again and redeemed to get stiff-necked. What does stiff-necked mean, you might be asking. Don't, I'm so glad you asked that. Because I've been studying and I got some stuff to hit you with, all right? So back in the day, if we were going to be um, drawing, uh, if, if there was a team of oxen that was drawing a, a cart, um, The the driver of these oxen had two things in his hand. In one hand, he held reins. In the other hand, he held a stick with a little iron uh, nail at the end that he would poke the oxen with to get it to turn one way or to turn another way. I always thought that stiff neck just means you're uh, rebellious, hard-headed, and you don't want to change. That's part of it. But the picture is actually this. For the oxen who becomes stiff-necked, when the master pokes its neck to prod it to turn, it can get so calloused that it no longer feels the leading of the master. Hello. This is not an animal that will is against the master. It's that it's no longer capable of even feeling when the master's trying to turn them. Stiff-necked, Israel. One messenger, the final messenger, came, and he gave you a message, and you couldn't even hear it. Or maybe this, the Spirit of the Lord is moving in your life, and you can't even sense Him anymore. Specifically, the Spirit is trying to turn your direction, and you're no longer tender to His touch. A rebellious teenager that doesn't want to do what they, they should be doing, it could also be the wounded suffering, person who's gone through tragedy and has hurt so bad they can't hurt anymore, they can't even feel anymore. Israel had become numb to the touch of God. Are you? Do you wake up in the morning and remember his new mercies are there for you? Do you hear his voice speaking over, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased? Uh, This is not just a pride issue. It is a pride issue, but it also can be a hearing issue. It could be an in-tune issue, that you're not being led by the Spirit. And the mirror that Stephen is giving is like, look, you can't even see. Um, This big old callus on your neck is hindering you from feeling the movement of the Spirit. So there's lots of things you might need to hear, but let me just declare a gospel truth over you. God does not need the work of your hands, but the trustful obedience of your heart. God, the law, uh, God desires to reveal himself, and he has revealed himself perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. He wants to meet with you. He wants to give you messages of his truth and of his love and even of his grace that sometimes are going to hurt bad, but ultimately all things work together for the good of the called of the Lord, who love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. He desires good things for you. Sometimes hard, but ultimately good. Can you hear a hard message today that you don't want to hear? And take it one step further. Are you willing to rearrange your life around a truth that God may be wanting to speak to you? Or, Last but not least, do you stop up your ears? Stephen preaches the message. He talks about the meeting place is not just in the temple. You don't get it. Y'all made an idol out of the temple. Uh, He talks about the messengers and y'all think those are your heroes, but y'all are actually just rejecting those heroes because the ultimate hero was Christ and y'all murdered and crucified him. The mirror placed upon you shows you that you are not as righteous as you think. And rather than repenting and receiving mercy and grace, you are charging forward on the same path you've always been on, refusing to turn, Refusing to repent, refusing to change, refusing to receive grace. Stephen stands up and declares these things. The Bible says that they stop up their ears, they grind their teeth, they were enraged. They charge forward, they lay their hands on him, um, and ultimately they stone him to death. I remember in high school, I had to tell a buddy that I saw his girlfriend cheating on him. He wasn't my buddy much after that. And uh, that may be a corny example. I think we've moved on. It's been a while. I hope we moved on. But um, standing and telling the truth to someone in love is not always going to be well received. In fact, more often than not, it, there's going to be a little bit of tension or a lot of bit of tension. Stephen was full of grace. He was not a jerk. If you think this is a cosign and a green light for you to go be a jerk, it is not. Stephen was full of grace. He was full of the Spirit. But he was also full of power and full of wisdom. And he spoke the truth. They did not receive the truth. And as, as, they, crucif- as they murder him, they stoned him. They didn't crucify him. They took him out the city gates The Mishnah teaches that they must take him at least a certain direction from the city gates, that there was a pit that they would push him in that was at least 12 feet deep. If the fall didn't break his neck, then they would begin to throw rocks into that hole in the ground until the stones destroyed his body. That's how Stephen went out. But that's not the whole story. Because as Stephen went out, the Bible says that he looked and he saw, and there was the father And seated at the right hand was Jesus. No, no, it doesn't say that. Last thing. Can I Bible nerd out for just a second? You said, you're going to do it anyway, so go ahead. (laughs) This is the one place in Scripture where there's a picture of the Father and the Son in the throne room, and they're not both sitting. Commentators are amazed at the fact that this is the one time throughout all of Scripture where the Son stands up. And I don't really know why, but there seems to be a theme that he's standing on behalf of Stephen. That he's standing, whether in celebration, to express his solidarity with him, to give him strength, to give him pride and honor to say, I'm with you. I'm so glad that the Lord stands on behalf of those who suffer for standing on his truth. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you declare my name, then I will declare your name to my Father in heaven. Father, I thank you for hard messages in my life. I hate them, but I love them. And I, at the end of the day, I need them. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters to be spirit-led, to have the courage to receive hard messages. I thank you for the stories of the heroes of the faith and how they reveal to us that the meeting place is not about a building or a temple or a denomination or a religious system or a doctrinal structure. The meeting place is about how you, in your grace, come and meet with us. The heavens are your throne room. The earth is just a footstool. There's no house that we could build that could contain you. And yet you still meet with us. I thank you for the messengers that have come throughout the history of redemption. I thank you for the prophets of old. But I thank you even, Lord, for the messengers in my life who came in in love, jerked me by the scruff of the neck and said, son, that's not the way to go. I love you too much to not tell the truth to you. Father, in this this world full of pride and ego, will you humble us to make space in our lives, to give permission in our lives for loving brothers and sisters to speak the truth, even the truth that's really too hard for us to hear ultimately, Lord, if they're speaking from your word and your spirit, it's not even them who's speaking. It's you who's speaking through them. And Jesus, I know you love me too much for me to be afraid of anything you might have to say to me. So speak, Lord, speak. Oh, Lord. if we go through seasons where we become stiff-necked, when our hearts become calloused and we're just not feeling your presence anymore, we're not hearing your voice anymore, we're not sensing your direction, I thank you that in grace sometimes you send wake-up calls. You send mirrors to reflect to us how calloused we've gotten and how numb we are to the leading of the Spirit. Make us tender again. Unless we come unto you like a child, we can't enter into the kingdom. Make us tender again. Free sons and daughters under the sound of my voice from bitterness, from calloused hearts, from jaded perspectives. Lord, raise up martyrs. In this world where we're not willing to sacrifice anything, would you reveal a love so great that we'd even lay down our lives to speak the truth, to stand and hold the line? We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you'd like to be notified for future episodes, go ahead and click that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review in your podcast app. Remember, if you're ever in the Houston area, we'd love to have you to come to Sunday service at 11 a.m. at 623 Press.